When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Beach Boys! 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 Binge boys, it's a nice time in your ears right now with me, Hal Rudnick, and across from me with his dog on his lap, Lon Harris. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. How's Taco? How's how's your dog, Taco? Taco, the dog. You don't need to introduce Taco. The folks know about Taco. Listen, if you if you've been following anything having to do with me for any stretch of time, you've heard about Taco the dog. He's a, he's ever present. Needs no introduction, but uh... well, there's nothing to say. There's really nothing. He needs no introduction because. His name is Taco. He is a dog. You are all caught up. That's there's not much else of note. Did, like, did he did he sniff anything interesting on a walk today? He's got no ongoing projects you need to be appraised of. He's got no particularly remarkable opinions. Is there a snack that he loves now? Did he get turned on to any new snacks lately? He does. He likes these. Rachel Ray, shout out to Rachel Ray. She has mm-hmm. this branded dog snack where they're called. They're called burgers. They do this with dog treats, where they they call them after the names of human foods, even though in no way they're not made of the same things. They don't look like the things. They don't smell like the things. You know, like pepperoni. And you're like, pepperoni, mm-hmm. but a dog version. But it's, it's nothing like pepperoni. Yeah, don't slice that shit up and put it on your pizza. Do not. Exactly. So these are called burgers. Right. They're like beef burgers for your dog. But it, it, you would not pick one of these up and be like, did you go to In-N-Out for this? It, it, it's just a clump. It's just clumps for dogs. But he does like them. How much people food do you give this dog? I give Taco almost no people food because he's got a very – he's tiny. Sure. Uh, and so he's got a small tummy and it's very easily disturbed. So like a little taste of a person food as a special treat – but really, that's it, or he's going to be throwing up and, and pooping everywhere. And we don't want that. No one wants that, least of all time. And that is, that is your taco report uh, coming soon behind the paywall of our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's ex- the place to get exclusive taco content. And uh, how about a little news update of what's going on in streaming? The news with Lon Harris. So Peacock canceled Punky Brewster after just one season. This was the revival Punky Brewster. 
Okay, because I got confused because um, before the show you told me Punky Brewster was canceled, and yeah. I'm like, what did Soleil Moonfry do to get canceled by the quote unquote woke mob? People very upset about that doc. She she did a celebrity doc, then Val Kilmer did oh, a celebrity yes. doc. People are like, I'm sick of it. Everyone doing home video documentaries is canceled. Yep, she did the doc, then she got doxxed. Uh, no, she she's fine. You're free to still support all the other okay, myriad Salil Moon Fry projects, I'm sure, are coming right around the corner. Uh, but but Punky Brewster, Punky Brewster, the revival series is no more. It's uh, only the third. About that lovable moppet grown up. I didn't even. Uh, did you watch any of the Punky Brewster? I did. I watched the first few episodes of the new Punky Brewster, and it made me realize that though I was in the target age range for Punky Brewster, and I recall there being a show Punky Brewster, and like. I could even envision what she looked like. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I don't really remember that show in any significant way. And watching the new one, I immediately was like, I don't even know if this is doing a good job of nostalgically recalling the old Punky Brewster because I don't really remember Punky Brewster. Right. I'll tell you two things I remember about Punky Brewster. One, she dressed like Rainbow Bright. Right, she it was she was very like quirky, like she was very like yes. she she marches to her own drum, that kind of a character. Yes, yes, and two, um, her adoptive father or whatever on the show, George Gaines, I think the actor's name is, was it was very good. That's true. Was the police chief or whatever in Police Academy, and I remember in the Police Academy movie, how um, he got a bull. How. What's that? His character's name was Commandant Lassard. And how dare you not call him by his proper title? Commandant Lassard. Commandant Lassard. Come on. Yes, I, now that you say that, I remember. And um, I just can't get that scene out of my head where he's getting a blowjob mm-hmm. by a woman who's like in the who's hiding in the lectern or the podium. The, that's that from the first Police Academy movie, I believe. Yep, yep. Six degrees uh, away from uh, the Police Academy blowjob. All right, yeah, there you go. Uh, so, so, yeah, the, so the, the new series was Punky Brewster herself, now grown. She's a single mom, and she takes in, she adopts a street kid. Uh, so it's sort of like a mirror of the original series. Only the third Peacock show to get canceled ever, total, the first two were that Brave New World sci-fi adaptation they did, and then Larry Wilmore's late-night show, Wilmore. Uh, uh, so this is only number three, and the first comedy series to be canceled by The Cock. Well, R.I.P. Punky. Turner and Hooch also feels this way to me. Is like, that's a title people remember, but is that actually a beloved enough property to sustain a remake? Like, I'm not sold. Like... Like mm-hmm. Saved by the Bell, yes, that that's a thing that was a cultural touchstone that a lot of people still remember and celebrate. I don't know if Punky Brewster stood the test of time quite as well. You know what does stand the test of time? That Police Academy blowjob. Yeah, hey yo. Uh, that's a cultural touchstone. That's a cultural touch bone. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> um, what is the name of the actress who gave that? Um, oh, uh, blow job. I don't know. Now I got to look that up. I'm looking it up and I can't find it. I searched Police Academy blowjob scene. Now here's the scene. Kim Cattrall's uh, in that YouTube. movie, but it's not her. No, she's like a Steve Gutenberg's love yeah, interest. Yeah, right. 
Uh, Here's I'm, oh, I'm getting now. I'm just watching a random scene. There's High Tower pulling the thing out of the. This the why are we doing this? I don't care who that actress. Is. I don't know. It's a very bad decision. This was We're, a terrible call on your part to to take I am us down searching this road. for this. This woman's name is a fool's errand. This is a fool's errand. Because here's the thing: it's not going to be funny. Whatever the name is, it's going to be like. Marjorie Smith, and we'll be like, well, there but you I go. I just want to, oh, there, here she is. Oh, she's rolling a joint in um, this one cadet's room. Well, you know what? What's her name? Did you, I'm gonna, did you look up the scene and not even like IMDb where the names would be? How are you hoping to get an answer by watching this scene? <laughs> Magic. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is the worst digression I've ever heard. We're moving on. It's Roku, very bad. Very Roku bad. ordered an eighth season for Reno 911. Now, this is the first time one of the shows that Roku got from Quibi is going to get its own new season. So, uh, you know, like... It, it, Amazing. New life breathed into the entire Reno franchise based on the move from now-defunct Quibi over to Roku, and the new season's going to go back to the 30-minute format. You know, I can see oh, you not cool. paying attention and looking up police. No, Academy. I'm listening to you. I'm especially listening because I was on Reno 911 twice. Oh, on, yes, so I course, know. Of course, I'm going to listen to this Reno 911 news. Maybe you're going to get a, a phone call any day. Maybe I, I should. I should hit up uh, Tom Lennon and uh, Ben Garant. You and should hit up, gang. yeah, the the old gang, and just be like, listen. Ian Roberts was in the later seasons. Is is he? He's not in the Quibi one, so I believe this would be a continuation gotcha. of the Quibi years. But I don't know. Oh, is, do you remember that Mike and the Mechanics song in the Quibi? In the Quibi years, <laughs> you know, you know who's gonna love uh, that? Me, Everybody listening to this under thirty-five, they're really gonna remember fondly. That was just for that's us. for the old. And, that's uh, for the and, old farts, yeah. And Rob and uh, Yager Lemieux on um, on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is good. These are these are thirty minute episodes that will be back on Roku. So the Quibi years will be this weird aberration where episodes only lasted for but a Quibi. Uh, these will be yes. traditional old school Reno nine one one. I'm I'm on IMDb. <laughs> I know you're. I know. I can tell. I can feel the energy not, of you not paying attention. Again. Well, what's the name? Errand, tell I, me the name. I can't freaking find it. Why do you care what this act? I'm going to look it up now just so you'll shut the fuck up about this and we can actually do the show. You know, I want to give credit where credit is oh due. Oh, my God, man. Jesus Christ. Blowjob lady from Police Academy. Is it Leslie Easterbrook as Sergeant Callahan? I'm almost sure that's what it is. She wasn't a cop. She was a high. She was a is sex prostitute? Then it's Georgia Spelvin as the hooker. It's right here on IMDb. What is wrong with you? How did you find that? Georgia Spelvin. Good work, Lon. I'm not, I'm not continuing until you make hay of this. You brought us here. Make me laugh. Uh, Georgia Spelvin was the actress who played the woman who gave Commandant Lassard a blowjob in the film Police Academy. All right. Go. Lon. Go. Thank you. Oh, what? No, you I'll have to. That. You have to make the. This is your prompt. You're on stage. You said someone in the audience. I need a prompt, and I said I've got a prompt. So this is a prompt worthy of interrupting a podcast. Do, so, do you remember uh, in a subsequent Police Academy movie there was Captain Mauser? Captain, uh, he was the heavy. He was the giving uh, the guys a hard time. 
I, when I was a, a young teenager, uh, was on vacation uh, visiting my sister here in Los Angeles, and we went to Universal Studios, and I ran into the actor who played Captain Mauser. I got very excited, and I took a picture with him, and I have that picture of me and Captain Mauser. Uh, pretty cool to anyone who's seen Police Academy 2 or whatever movies Captain Mauser's in. Juan, I really have no justification other <laughs> well, to back so this great. up. I just wanted to... Yeah. No, okay. And I would note, yeah. by the way, not only is that story not particularly funny, doesn't have anything to do with the original digression anyway. Right, right. So um, I'm gonna, I have the picture right here. So this is a this you is know, a bit this of disappointing. A yeah, medium. this is just not going well yeah. at all. I'm going to move on. I think I think we've I think we've all earned that. Yes, oh, I think great I've idea. earned that most of all. According to Variety, Daniel Craig earned about a hundred million dollars for the two Knives Out sequels that he's making for Netflix. A hundred million. No. Yes, that's true. Now these these deals are particularly high. Bear in mind because Netflix. Usually a movie studio, you would get a lot less than this up front, but you would have a little chunk of the back end. Like if the movie comes out and it makes X amount at the global box office, you'll get an extra 20% or whatever. I'd like to get a little chunk of the back end. You would. You do enjoy a nice chunk of the back end. I've heard that about you. Uh, so, I know. But on Netflix, like other streaming services, they kind of bake mm -hmm. all of that money into the original deal because there won't be a theatrical run. So... As part of this two-movie deal that they made with Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson to make two Knives Out movies, there is no back end. It's just a they're cutting a check. And Variety says it's $100 million. Now, that compares to Dwayne, quote-unquote, The Rock Johnson. Yes. He's doing an Amazon Studios huge movie called Red One. He reportedly got $30 million just for that one movie. Uh-huh. And DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence... Both got $25 million for Don't Look Up. That's the Adam McKay disaster comedy coming at the end of this year. So wow. the, these actors are getting these very big paychecks for these streaming projects because they know that that's it. It's one and done. You get your check. You make your movie. It doesn't matter how big a hit it is. That, man, that's a real... Uh, how about that? Daniel Craig is getting $100 million just to traipse around and do that fucking foghorn leghorn accent to, uh, for... Two movies. Do you really not like Daniel Craig and Nice uh, uh, Well, we've got a little bit of a we've got a murder here. We got a, well, I say, I say, you're just a chicken hawk. Uh, you're not a chicken hawk. You're a squab, boy. Now, is this? <laughs> is this a, are you angered by the money, or are you sincerely you don't like Daniel Craig in that movie? You know what? I'm just curious. I'm just interested. That's too much money. A hundred million dollars? Oh, my God. What can you... You know, compare that to what Georgia Spelvin got paid to <laughs> okay. debase herself. You know what? And you know what? Commandant Lassard. You've redeemed yourself. That was it. That was all it took. Oh, you brought it yes. around. You brought it around. Yes. That's all. Listen, <laughs> I am tough but fair, folks. If you bring the joke around and we all get a chuckle... It's no harm, Lon, no foul. That's how these things work. Lon, you are firm but fair, and I appreciate your tough love. Uh, I appreciate listen, your I tough love. I had to take love. you to comedy court. Fortunately, all charges have been dropped. Yes! <laughs> You're a free man. Uh, Peacock order. Uh, 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 I think there's, uh, hello. I, I uh, strongly disagree. Murder. I think it's a, it's, it's funny. I think I agree it's that the fun. accent is not, the accent is not, I think we can all agree. It's not a realistic Kentucky accent. And so 
I think even Daniel Craig would concede that. And so once you've accepted that it's not meant to be realistic, that ceases to be the metric of whether it's good. Then it's like... What the fuck's his detective name again? Benoit Blanc. Robido Benoit Blanc. Uh, my name is Benoit Blanc. Yeah, there you and, go. Uh, my reputation precedes me. So he's the last and, of the gentleman sleuths. There we go. Part two in uh, Greece. That's all we know, really. We know the cast, and we know that it is set in Greece. Looks like the Greek islands, I'm presuming. All star cast. Hmm. Benoit Blanc. Big cast. 100 million. The game is a foot. For Daniel Craig. Glad that guy finally got a win. Peacock ordered yep. a new series based on the movie Field of Dreams. Now, this is going to be the very first drama series ever from writer slash creator Mike Schur. You know him, of course, from The Office. Parks and Rec. Uh, this is the first show he's going to be an actual writer on since The Good Place, which was his NBC mm-hmm. series from a few years ago. No word yet on specifics, but we're, it's a it's a reimagined take, which I would imagine it has to be because the plot of the movie doesn't really make sense as a TV show. What is it like? Ghosts come to his house and play baseball all the time. Like, how does that work? Yeah, basically, basically, he builds a corn. He, he mows the cornfield. <laughs> yeah, he clears and, the cornfield. And, and puts a mound there and uh, home plate, and they play ball. But um, the he hears a voice. He's out in the corn. He's an Iowa corn farmer. A mysterious voice says, "If you build it, he will come." He has a vision of a baseball diamond, so he clears a bunch of his cornfield and he builds a baseball diamond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually, I don't remember a bunch of the middle of the movie. And then eventually, a bunch of dead ball players show up, including his dad, and they play yeah, a little um, uh, game of catch. Ray Liotta. It's Ray Liotta, exactly. Shoeless Joe Jackson is there. Mm-hmm. Who could forget Shoeless Joe? Don't forget about Moonlight Graham. <laughs> Mordecai Three Finger Brown, I'm pretty sure, one of those yeah. guys. Mo- Moonlight Graham uh, pl- played in the movie. Okay, here's a here's a trivia question. Uh, what classic actor played Moonlight Graham? I believe, is that Robert uh, Duvall's character? No. Or is that James Earl Jones's character? No. Is that Burt Lancaster's character? There you go. Yeah. I mean, there I know go. who's in the movie, I just don't remember their names. This uh, is also relevant to me because Major League Baseball just had their of uh, Field of Dreams game, the Yankees uh, played the White Sox. And the if White, you think this was not coordinated game. to get people excited about Field of Dreams all at the oh, same it, time... It, it, Oh, it's probably all a, 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 just a massive, uh, you know, um, machine. Of course, sure. working together in conjunction and the, uh, Major League Baseball. The, it was the highest rated game in like like over a decade, mm-hmm. uh, viewing wise for Major League Baseball. And the uh, they just announced that they're going to do this again, similar to uh, the National Hockey League has gotten some publicity and some ratings from having an outdoor hockey game now every year, playing on a rink. So now they're doing this. I thought it was funny. The the Field of Dreams field that they built in Iowa, it's yes. it's right next to the real field that they right. built for the movie. It's not mm-hmm. – the field that they built was designed for a movie, not at MLB regulation size. Right. So they had to build a real stadium that's just like attached to the original field. Yep, yep. You're not going to summon any ghosts this way. There's such an innocence and a joy and a magic to Field of Dreams. But like, let's not forget 
it was a time where um, the, the color barrier in baseball had not been broken yet. It was just, it was still a regressive, weird time in the country. And so it's just like, it's so magical, but also, oh, still racist. Yeah. I don't know if they'll, I, I mean, like, hopefully they, I don't know if they'll address that or what. Ain't that just the story of America, my friend? Pretty much. It's magical, but oh, right, the racism. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. The constant grinding systemic racism. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm 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 very curious about this. Not so much as you could tell by my inability to name who plays what character. Uh, not so much because I am a great lover of that film. Mm-hmm. More because how do you? I'm, I'm very curious how you sustain that vibe. Like I get why Field of Dreams is effective as a movie, but it just seems like going for that kind of ethereal magical, realist, whimsy, sentimentality over the course of like... I read the first, I read the pilot, I can oh, tell you. Well, well, here you go. Kevin Costner and a team of baseball ghosts go from town to town solving crimes. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's going to be a ghost procedural, although I'm in. I think there's got to be a time travel element. I think they have to go back. When Kevin Costner arrives in uh, Ames, Iowa or Minneapolis or wherever it is, um, he, he susses out the situation. And, he, and then once he, uh, once he finds the clues, he says, baseball ghosts, play ball. And they all descend upon the town and spook it up. <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, that's how is that a show? That's that's not. They go to a town and spook it up. That's what is that? That's how is that? Is that the is that the second act of every episode? Yep, and they, yeah, <laughs> that's tough to write. That's tough to keep fresh over thirteen episodes a season. Well, they're they're going to have a big musical number with all wow, the baseball ghosts. Uh, sidebar: the porn version of Field of. Dreams. Wait, why? How, how do you? Why is there a porn version? Field of Creams. Oh boy! Are you saying every Peacock show has a porn version? Is that true? S- yes, yes. Same tagline. If you build it, they will come. Mm. All right. Mm. <laughs> no. Every Peacock show. Yes, every, every Peacock, Peacock show, show has its own porn version. Except Punky Brewster. No, that that's inappropriate. That's. <laughs> That that's why it got canceled because they were like, you know what? We were thinking about how to do the porn version. We realized this is inappropriate. This is horrible. Um, yeah, girls five Eva is girls five way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Keep um, going. Rutherford Falls. You got one for Rutherford Falls. Yep, Rutherford Balls. Ah, you got there. Well done. Wow, you're batting a thousand. <laughs> really well today. This is, this is going great. We got one more news story. This one is crazy. Yes. I can't believe this. Okay. I, I saw people intimating that this was happening on Twitter, and I was like, this yes. sounds like one of those mob public outrages, and then when you get to the nugget of the story, it's not going to be that bad. You know, sometimes that happens okay. where it's like everybody's upset, and then you go back, and it was like, oh, the original thing wasn't that bad. But this one, it's that bad. Uh, so Chris Evans, the actor, yes. you know him mm-hmm. as Captain America. Oh, yeah. Lu- Lucas Lee from Scott Pilgrim. The, the, uh, the snow piercer himself. The train is the, the snow piercer. Snow piercer. No, the, the, no, the train the snow piercer. He's, he, the train's piercing the snow. He's on the train. I call him the He's, snow piercer. He is piercing through the fucking hypocrisy of the system, man. But not technically the okay. snow. Anyway, he is one of the co-founders of a civic media organization 
called A Starting Point. You can visit their website, astartingpoint.com. They are producing a six-part series that's going to be streaming on their website about U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. Now, it's going to be roundtable discussions. The host is Texas U.S. Representative Will Hurd, who is a former CIA operative. And all the guests Mm -hmm. basically represent U.S. government officials. You got a lot of national security types. You got a lot of generals. You got some ambassadors in the mix. Leon Panetta's Mm -hmm. in there. You know, like 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 mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of familiar figures from U.S. government foreign policy. Some of the best and the brightest, or the Pentagon, or the Department policy, of Defense, sure. but not really so much anyone from the Middle East or presenting a Middle Eastern perspective. <laughs> so it seems a lot like uh, blatant U.S. government slash CIA propaganda. And that's what yeah. a lot of people have been bringing up. But the fact that Chris Evans has his name on it. Is is a little odd, I would think. Yeah, because Chris, Chris Evans is uh, like I I've, I mostly like him on social media. Um, you know, his uh, releasing his uh, personal private pictures aside. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's but, I think but, what a lot of people are taking issue with. You see, he strikes me as, or strikes some people, maybe myself included, as one of these like. He's like liberal and likes to be like, I'm on the right side. Yeah, pride yeah, month. Yeah, very much a white knight. He's right. like, um, he, I'm sure he and Mark Ruffalo have a lot of very woke conversations on right. site. But then when it comes down to like, well, what are you actually putting out into the world? Like, what is yeah. what is the media that's being produced with your name on it? And it's this. It's like, well, it probably should have invited a couple of Middle Eastern people to talk about it, right? Like, yeah, I mean— if you really want it to be a discussion. Absolutely. It's very surprising to me if they do not include some someone because there's so much uh, that you can criticize, uh, you know, this uh, great country of ours for just <laughs> as far as being the world's policeman. And why do we need to get, like, solely American point of view? I mean, yes, it's something we've been embroiled in for so long, but I would, I want to hear, like, people who are in government there or who are civilians and who've just been, you know, privy to just the upheaval, the drone strikes, the 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 death and carnage, and from people whose lives this shit affects. So of course, and it it strikes me the way you were describing that, Lon. It like re- reading that list of people, it kind of smacks of the same energy as oh, a room full of white men regulating how women should use their bodies and like women's health issues, you know? It's just, oh so there's no (laughs) like it's when you see like those uh, people like uh, making uh, rulings on abortion or something. It's very crazy. Very crazy. Yeah, anyway, Chris Evans, what the fuck, man? Weird. Weird weird energy. Weird energy Um, to that decision. Although maybe they'll do a deep dive into uh, the the um, CIA's uh, heroin business, those poppy fields. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think one. I think that would be. I don't think the CIA would want to put that out there. But also, too, uh, off topic. I think you know, like, listen, listen. We're we're we're, we're focused I'm, our policy towards them, not our policy of injecting. Uh, sweet heroin into our veins. No, uh, CIA uh, had a, no, I, a thriving uh, poppy business yeah, in Afghanistan. Um, also, CIA, you know what that stands for, Lon? I mean, I do. Cocaine but... Import Agency. Hey, hey, all right. We don't want to. We don't want guys in black masks showing up at our door, taking us to, to Gitmo. Uh oh. 
I think we've crossed. We I think we've crossed a, a few lines. I think we're on a list now. Damn! I didn't. I, I. I was. I went into this podcast saying, "Okay, don't get on a watch list." This podcast. Yeah. Too. Too late. Uh, you guys can't see this right now because this is an audio-only podcast. But a guy just ziplined into the room that Hal is in. I think he's about to. I think he's about to take him out. Get out of there! Look out! Physical comedy. What what could be better for a podcast? That's all I've got. That's it for the news. Other than our imminent arrest and exportation. Oh, what about the trailers? Did you want? Oh, talk that's about right. Wow, what the hell is wrong with me? We, we watched three trailers. No, no worries. Listen, we were we were goofing it up, and we were talking about the CIA bringing in drugs, and we really I shouldn't have done heroin mm-hmm. before this podcast. That was my problem. I, don't chase the dragon. 20 minutes before you're scheduled to do a podcast. Riding the the white horse. Yeah, right. A weird weird timing to push off right before podcast (laughs) time, I think. But I'll tell you what, you you were really just uh, with it and lucid. For it is, I, done I, I, yeah, I'm a very uh, I'm a very high performing uh, heroin junkie. Oh, were you? Are you using some of that new heroin light? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like uh, White Claw makes a heroin now. It's, so it's uh, <laughs> you know it's like an afternoon it's like an afternoon heroin. And it's mango flavor. Oh, nice. So we watched three trailers. You're right. Uh, I I blanked on them entirely. The first one was Night Books. Night Books from Netflix. This is, it's a horror movie, but it's like a YA. It's like a starter horror movie. It looks kind of like Goosebumpsy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on a novel by J.A. White, uh, Kristen Ritter stars as a witch. She imprisons a couple of kids in her New York apartment and forces them to tell her a new spooky story each night. So like a play on... Talk about a bee in Apartment 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, this one, yeah. She's like kidnapping kids. You know, it was a fun trailer, but I don't think I'm the, the audience for we're, it. I we're, just, old. Like, I, we're too old for this one. But, uh, but you yeah, know... I, I, I like Kristen Witt Ritter, but like... Yeah, she seems to be having a lot of fun. In real life... These kids would be shitting their pants in fear. They wouldn't be, uh, you know, like we're gonna take down this th- this supernatural being. You found the story about the witch kidnapping children and forcing them to tell her spooky stories a, a shade unrealistic. Not entirely plausible. I understand. Yeah, I feel fair enough. Fair enough. So there's no no release date. No release date on that one yet. Probably around. I, I am an idiot. I am an idiot for calling out the plausibility. This spooky witch story. This probably would not happen, and if it did, it probably would not play out this way. You're, you are absolutely right. Uh, but, uh, yeah. If a witch kidnapped some children, it'd be a terrifying ordeal. Like, well, you've got me there. No whimsy involved. Uh, no release date yet. I'm guessing a Halloween. This is probably, probably one of Netflix's spooky Halloween releases uh, produced by Sam Raimi. So there you go. I like that. That's a stamp of uh, quality. Yeah. Uh, next up, we watched the Foundation trailer. This is coming to Apple TV September 24th, based, of course, on various writings by sci-fi great Isaac Asimov. Stars Jared Harris as an academic in an interplanetary future civilization. He's got some sort of formula that predicts that this civilization is about to collapse and so he creates mm-hmm. this group called the Foundation 
that's going to ensure that the things that they've learned and their culture and the ability to rebuild civilization lives on somehow into the future. It, it looks pretty cool. I mean, again, talking about stamps of quality, Isaac Asimov, just like you know, one of the uh, greats of uh, of sci-fi, and uh, so uh, the stories uh, have some gusto to them. And uh, my pal Jared Harris, you you are good, close personal friends with Jared Harris. I, I do actually know Jared mm-hmm. Harris. Uh, yeah, a lovely gentleman. Lovely, go to lovely go to gentleman. Vegas together all the time. Uh, not that close. Call themselves close. the Wolf Pack. Uh, oh no! You know what? I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of the friends from the movie Hangover. I was getting you. I was getting you and Jared <laughs> oh, Harris confused. If only with that lovable only. crew from the Hangover. Uh, no, and the showrunner. As long as you talk about the the names behind Foundation, it's got the showrunner mm-hmm. is David Goyer, who you of course all know from a whole bunch of. Earlier projects, uh, Constantine, he did that show. Uh, he's mm-hmm. written a bunch. He wrote uh, Dark City. He wrote Batman Begins. He wrote uh, the story for City. The Dark Knight, uh, Blade Two, and Blade Trinity. Uh, you know, a, a, a lot of a lot of David Goyer productions over the years. Written by your boy David S. Goyer, so he's he's the showrunner on this one. I'm absolutely would give this a chance. It's uh, it seems like some good potential storytelling there, and uh, the trailer looks cool. Looks like Apple put a lot behind this. Yeah, big epics ever. Right, they're they're just trying to like they they need to you know they got they got Ted Lasso uh, out there making mm-hmm. their name, and they're just throwing more stuff out there trying to get people excited about spending that extra five bucks a month or just buying a new iPhone and getting it for free. Uh, Star Wars Visions, that was the last thing that we watched. This is a anthology, so every episode, different story, animated series, and they got, uh, every episode was produced by a different, I guess there's a few that are doing a few episodes. Uh, they're produced by Japanese anime studios. So these yeah, are standalone. I think there were seven different, yeah, standalone seven different anime studios. Star Wars mm-hmm. Adventures done in an anime style. They're going to be released both. You can watch them in Japanese audio and subtitles, or there will be English language dubbed versions available. Uh, and they're all mm-hmm. arriving, or they're, they're kicking off on September 22nd. This looks so unique and cool. Just the, the Star Wars tropes and lore in the anime style. I think this is a beautiful fit. I was, I'm very excited. It just it looked cool as hell. The trailers got me a, a little too excited. Frankly. I don't <laughs> wow. like how excited the oh, trailer no. got me. Were you? Uh, were you? Uh, did you? Did you get a little? Were you at half mast? You know, I, I mean, I felt a little, maybe a little, like a, a little twinge. Struggle, All right, no, like a twinge I, I, down below. But my my pulse, my, I my heart rate, right. edge of your like, seat, thrills and chills. Yeah, yeah yes, I yes, yes. I I, I agree. It's uh, it looks really cool. It's really fun. I like that it's standalone. So they don't have to feel as pressured to like constantly do lore stuff. Like they could just let these let these storytellers go off and kind of do their own thing. Obviously, Star Wars already massively influenced by Kurosawa, by Lucas's love mm-hmm. of samurai films. So to bring Japanese creators in and set them loose in a Star Wars context makes like this weird, fascinating kind of obvious sense. And it lends itself so yes. much to the anime style. Uh, and it was really cool after being so let down, as we discussed a bit last week, by the animation on What If, to see a totally different kind of direction for the animation that worked so well for me and I thought looked so beautiful was a really nice change of pace. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. Stylized, gorgeous. Um, I, this is something I... 
will absolutely uh, watch. Looking well, forward to it. Yeah, so much. check it out. We'll listen for this next month. We'll talk about what we think. But Star Wars Visions coming September 22nd. Back to Foundation for one oh, sec. Oh, uh, yeah. Any- and, uh, starring your friend Jared Harris. Yes. Yeah. Um, did you get a, a Dune vibe at all from that? Like, like the new Dune or David Lynch's Dune? The new Dune. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there is definitely, there is a look that I think a lot of our modern sci-fi has. Yes. And I think that it also does have that. Uh, a little Denny Villeneuve. A, le- a little right. Denny Villeneuve. Yes, I think there's, 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 there's an aspect to a lot of modern sci-fi where it's like, you know, grand scale, very like sleek. Anyway, I, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know if it's Dune yeah, specifically just or just a lot of the sci-fi stuff. Even stuff like the Eternals, that kind of like their magic where it's spindly and gold has that kind of look to it. Yeah, like long stretches of desert well, and, and Raised by Wolves, yeah. I would say that HBO Max show also had kind of this aesthetic to it. A lot of Ridley Scott stuff kind of has this. Yes, Prometheus and whatnot. Right, exactly. So... Uh, we'll, we'll see when that, when that arrives next month. I think you're tapping into, uh, like maybe, a um, either a supercut or some kind of thesis paper when yeah. you go back to get your doctorate sure. on the, um, the aesthetics of modern sci-fi. Mm. Yes. I'm, people can't see it right now, but I'm stroking my beard thoughtfully. <laughs> Mm, I do not have a doctorate. I got my master's degree from USC. uh, And part of my program, I did take some PhD film classes. And I wrote I wrote a paper about some sci fi films. It was not about the aesthetics. I didn't know you had uh, you got your master's degree. Communication management from USC. I have a master's. The Annenberg School at USC. Wow. Uh, You know what? Color me impressed. That's awesome, man. Uh, It's not. I don't uh, use it at all. I do nothing. I'm still paying it off. And I do nothing. The program was really, it was business and econ and like be a businessman classes. And then also media and critical studies and film classes. And the idea would be, you'd be like a manager or a publicist or like an agent, like entertainment law, maybe down the road, like somebody doing, making deals, doing Hollywood business. Uh, and those are all of the people I was in the program. Like they're all agents and managers and those kinds of people now. And I'm like, hey, did you guys like that movie? I thought it was cool. <laughs> so I I will say uh, that um, as a very learned individual who went to what, eight years of college, six years uh, well, I went to four years as an undergrad, and then I did. It was like two and a half more years to get my master's. So okay, six so, and a half. so six and a half yeah. years. Yeah. Um, y- you do use it in regards to your schmodown nickname. Yeah, right. It's true. I I learned how to be professorial by sitting in a lot of rooms with a lot of professors and going, uh huh. Coming up, the professor and I will talk about. The new documentary series Untold, specifically the the new episode Malice at the Palace that talks about the Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers uh, that happened in the early 2000s. And we'll talk about that in a moment. believe it was 04, 04. 2004. 04. Untold Malice at the Palace uh, dropped on Netflix uh, last week. Well, there's two episodes. You've watched the second one. I have not. 
I did. I did. The second one is about um, the uh, female boxer, Christy Martin. Right. We're going to focus on this. I might throw in a couple of thoughts about the Christy Martin We don't have to focus on just the one I watch. We can talk about the one you watch. All right. All right. A show that I brought up recently, uh, the professional wrestling show, Dark Side of the Ring. Yes. It's kind of reminiscent of that in the way it tells these uh, true, sometimes uh, less than glamorous moments, the darker moments that happen in these legendary sports moments. And so Malice at the Palace, just a horrific fight that spilled into the stands, uh, rivals in the Eastern Conference, the NBA defending champion Detroit Pistons and the Indiana Pacers, who were having a great season, looking to uh, knock the Detroit Pistons off their throne. And they were having a, a real uh, back-and-forth throwdown, and Indiana looked like they were going to take this game. And then uh, a hard foul led to some fighting on the sidelines, and then all hell broke loose when a fan threw a cup of who-knows-what beer, soda. It looks spit. like beer. I think it's beer. Yeah. On um, Ron Artest, who's now, um, who went by Meta World Peace. Now I think it's Meta Artest. It is Meta Artest today, I believe. Yeah. And uh, and Ron Artest went into the stands to find the person that threw this uh, drink at him. And just all hell broke loose. And it was kind of an unprecedented situation uh, in modern sports. Although since I've heard that there have been incidents where the um, fans have fought players in the in the 80s perhaps but this shines a light on this infamous incident and uh, I, I I feel like I learned a lot and especially perspectives of the different players you got to know the individual that much more you got to know their mindset and I, I felt like I learned something and I enjoyed the way this unfolded uh yeah it comes from uh the guys who did wild wild country you remember wild wild country? That, yes, that documentary about, about uh, the Bhagwan. Uh, yeah, Bhag- Bhagwan, uh, the Rajneesh. Uh, Chapman and McLean Way, uh, they, they did that, and now this is their new project. They directed some of the episodes, produced the whole thing. It's got that same energy where there's just like, it's, it's propulsive. It's very narrative. It's very engaging. It's telling you the story, and it's really breaking it down uh, in a way that is very compelling. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, this was fascinating for me because I don't follow basketball closely. Like, I don't mm-hmm. pay attention to sports during the season. So I heard about this story purely as news. Like, this was not, I followed right. the NBA, I was watching this game. This was just like, the news was that day was like, hey, a brawl broke out. A bunch of NBA players jumped into the stands. And so a lot of this episode is about how slanted the media coverage was and how the media coverage immediately portrayed the players as these sort of thugs and and that it was all their fault and that they, you know, mm-hmm. went after these innocent people who were watching a basketball game. And that was 100% my impression of this incident. And I was telling you beforehand, this was before, like, obviously, once Ron Artest was a Laker, I knew who he was because I live in Los Angeles and he became a local guy who people talked about all the time. But um, a bit of a folk hero in Los Angeles because. Right. He, he went on to become a very popular, well loved guy as a Laker in this town, at least. And he's been to hell and back like Ron. They don't get as much into this, but Ron Artest's journey, like one of the first people he thanked 
after he won a world championship with the Lakers, was his therapist. The man, like, experienced beautiful growth. And and I think, yeah, later on, he did get into this more publicly. But I was going to say, at this time, when I first heard this story about the fight mm-hmm. at the Pacers-Pistons game, it was 100%. Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever heard the name Ron Artest. And it was as mm-hmm. a crazed lunatic. As, like, look at this guy. He's a famous, rich basketball player. This is some innocent person in the stands, and he's racing into the stands to go beat up a fan. Yep. It was so easy for the media to sort of play that angle and for us all to accept this narrative. And then you watch this, and you're like, oh, well, this version of the story makes immediately a lot more sense. And and, and, And it humanizes it so instantly to see these guys you know, explain it from what happened from their perspective. Absolutely. My heart breaks for uh, Jermaine O'Neal, getting to hear his side of the story, because Jermaine O'Neal is, he was um, one of the most prominent pacers at the time. Like him and Reggie Miller were like the top guys. Uh, And uh, Reggie Miller was at towards the end of his career. And Jermaine O'Neal like was the, this young star and this interrupted his trajectory. And it was something he kind of had to live with as a stain on his resume for the rest of his career. Like he got sucked into this thing. He got pulled in and got nothing but bad press from it. And what happened to Ron Artest and Steven Jackson, um, his teammate, who became uh, a prominent figure recently because Steven Jackson was a childhood friend of George Floyd uh, growing up. And Steven Jackson became a very vocal uh, civil rights figure during all the uh, Black Lives Matter stuff. And he's got a, a podcast, All the Smoke um, which is also popular. So he's become a public with, figure. Uh, also with Matt Barnes. With Matt Barnes, yep. <laughs> but this resonates today because there's this disrespect that happens sometimes on the court where like people in courtside seats or fans think they can just get that much more personal with these players. And obviously, you know, you're paid to ignore the fans, but like that's why you're getting millions of dollars. But like we've seen too many incidents of people like throwing things at like Russell Westbrook, hitting players, pushing players. Um, I forget who it was, but someone fell on the lap of someone at a Golden State Warriors game and the guy gave him a hard shove. It's it's not cool. And the- One of the things that they do touch on in the film, which I think is, is fascinating, is uh, the idea that season ticket holders are spending enough that the the owners of these teams, the, the high-level people are like, well, look, we got to put up with this guy because, like, that's crazy mm-hmm. to me that there, were, that there would be a point where you could spend enough on tickets at a stadium where NBA teams feel like they have to cater to your aggressive behavior. It's like it, – That's wild. Yeah, like the, the, what a capitalist nightmare we live in where the, these guys feel like they they can throw things at players or one of these guys uh, – marches onto the court and like squares up to try to fight one of the players and he's defending himself in this in this documentary and it's like come on man you know on no level is that defensible behavior yeah we learn a little bit about uh some of the main antagonists on the fan side of this and those these are along with the media portrayal uh these are the true villains of this story uh the cup thrower whose name is john green um and he's an unrepentant piece of shit <laughs> yeah he's just like seems to have no he's just like like why would these guys agree to be in this film it just makes no sense yeah. like obviously what you did was not cool no and like had terrible consequences like why and then this dude 
Charlie Haddad is the guy who he marched onto the floor. Uh, like, he, so he came down. He's like, I'm going to get on in on this action. And like Lon was saying, he squared up against Ron Artest and Ron Artest like made a poor decision there. But it's like, this dude came onto the court and challenged this man. I mean, this guy uh, does. Crazy. I think, I'm not saying you should ever hit anybody. I'm not defending violence. I don't mm-hmm. go out and get into fights. I don't think you should either. But if you're going to say, when is there a point where you have the legal right to punch somebody in self-defense? I believe it's at exactly this point. It's when a guy makes that pose, like, I'm about to hit you. It's like, well, you're about to hit me. My choices are block in some way or get out of the way, hit you first, or take a a punch. You know, like, those those are the only options you're presenting me here. You know, like, it's very hard to make the case that you, by running down onto the court and getting into a fighting stance, you are not challenging this guy to a fight which he then won because he's a lot bigger and stronger than you and has probably also been in more fights. It, it shines a light on that. And then, as uh, we, we've pointed out, the one-sided, one-dimensional media portrayal of Which it, is really like gross. That I love. And I noticed uh, Bob Costas Bob popped Costas. in. <laughs> I was just about to say. And Bob Costas uses the word thugs. And yeah. um, uh, thugs uh, has become like this pejorative that— It's uh, not that it's become— it's obvious the way that he's using it, what he means in that clip. Yes. He's calling yes. them thugs, oh, playing on the fact that a lot of white people thought that every black person from the inner city is a gangster who is a criminal. Yes. And like that, that yep. is obviously the racist implication. Absolutely. Th- thugs is often a replacement for the N word. And uh, the way Bob Costas uses it just disappoints me because I love Bob Costas the way he spins a yarn about baseball and uh, so on and so forth. But yeah, it's just like, it's disappointing. But th- I think this is this is a good portrayal. And um, I, I wish they got like Reggie Miller and some of the other uh, participants in, in it. But that aside, I think it's a, a well-told story. And I think it gives that much more of a three-dimensional picture of what occurred leading up to this incident. Reg- Reggie Miller is, in is in fact in it, I believe. They, they have the other um, archival footage of him, but not, I believe so. Um, Sorry if I'm wrong on that. I mean, the the thing that I think you could say is it's very Pacers-oriented. It's all from the perspective yes. of the Pacers team. So you get Reggie Miller, Absolutely. you get you get Meta Artest, you get Steven Jackson, you get Jermaine O'Neal, you get all of their take. Mm-hmm. I think they talked to Ben Wallace briefly as interviewed, but you yeah. don't really get a lot of the Pistons. Take. Now, I get it because it was the Pacers who were the ones who were fine. They were the ones who went into the stands. They were the ones who bore the brunt. I think Ben Wallace was also fine. But um, uh, it was mostly involving Pacers players. But I still thought it was interesting they didn't have more of the Pistons sort of POV. Now, defending Ron Artest and, like, you know, how his, like, the, the fans crossed the line with him, you know, bad move, but, like, he was wronged and, like, the fans were way out of pocket. But I will say um, some of Ron Artest's other behavior as a teammate— <laughs> 
is pretty funny and wild. Like uh, he took a break in the middle of the season to go to the uh, the Hip Hop Source Awards. Yes, yes. And, I mean, he uh, was. It's just he's like, a character. Some, he's a character. Yeah, some Dennis Rodman like right. behavior in there. So it, it's interesting. That's part of his appeal is that he he is a legitimately interesting guy who's unpredictable. In his behavior. Yeah. So um, Malice at the Palace, absolutely worth watching. The Christy Martin episode about this female boxer. uh, Also good? uh, Really good. Because I, like I had heard the name, but she just has a legendary run as a boxer. And like, I think she ended up winning 49 matches. But not only did she put female boxing on the map and make just women's combat sports like took it to basically non-existent and a joke to she like almost single-handedly legitimized it but then she her trainer that she was married to she went through an inconceivable tragedy where he tried to kill her and she survived it and her story's pretty unbelievable and it's so well told and um yeah she's got a really complicated person and uh, a great interview she is there throughout um with current and so much archival footage it, it's a great story you want to know what the next three are going to be sure uh next up caitlin jenner after a failed attempt mm-hmm. in 1972, Caitlyn Jenner made her, her mission to win decathlon gold in Montreal in 1976. That's next week. Mm-hmm. Then uh, they were the bad boys of hockey, a team bought by a man with mob ties run by his 17-year-old son with a rep for being as violent as they were good. The story of the Danbury Trashers. That's August oh, wow. 13th or August 31st. That sounds cool. And then finally, breaking point, Tennis star Marty Fish's battles with anxiety and mental health. And that's Untold Season 1. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, so far these two episodes, uh, it's good stuff. Uh, check it out. Untold, Malice at the Palace. And uh, the, what's the name of the one about Christy Martin? Is it just a... Uh, Deal with the Devil. There you go. Um, available on Netflix now. Also on Netflix. Lon and I, Lon, I, uh, you recommended this series, and uh, I figured, okay, I'll watch a couple episodes. I, I went through the whole thing. Oh, you're already it. finished. I, wow, look at that. Yep, I, I loved it. Um, it. It really scratched an itch that, like, you know, just the subject matter. Old Hollywood, or old 1990s, and, uh, like, an L.A. story, and magic and witchcraft. Uh, brand new Cherry Flavor. Brand new Cherry Flavor is the show on Netflix. And, uh, Lon, thank you for the recommendation. You got it, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. It's uh, it's by the both of the creators worked on a show I really liked the, uh, that was from Sci-Fi called Channel Zero. Okay, uh, they took sort of like creepy horror stories from the internet and adapted them into these sort of like short seasons of of horror TV. Uh, this has kind of a similar vibe. It's very stylish. It's a little bit surreal, supernatural. Uh, you know, like a lot of aesthetics, a lot of just like weirdness and sort of twists and turns. Uh, I really thought uh, Rosa Salazar is terrific. Mm-hmm. Catherine Keener, what a fun, what a fun role for Catherine Keener. Who's, she is having so much fun. Yeah, she gets to really play like <laughs> go for it and like throw everything Goofing at the around, wall. La- enjoying it, savoring it. Like they talk about an actor, uh, they use the phrase chewing the scenery. Uh, yeah. And the whole thing is just kind of shot like it's set in the early 90s. But it all it also has this kind of, uh, you know, like retro aesthetic. Like it almost looks like you're watching it 
on VHS. And I thought, like, yeah. the way that they bring a lot of, like, old... It, it doesn't just... It's not just set in an era. It really evokes it in ways that are more than just, like, playing a song. Like, they do that stuff yep. as well. But it's it, yes. on, a, on a level beyond just, like tunes and you know references that it really feels like it's immersed in that world it reminded me of a just the work of a few different uh directors and like touchstones uh like there's definitely some brian de palma going on sure, here yeah, yeah. um uh cronenberg with like the body horror yeah there's uh, some really gross stuff <laughs> yep um nicholas winding refin yeah i think you got like that right that's a big touchstone i think for this and uh, if you watch, and, like, and then Robert Altman's "The Player" is also kind of factors into that. Yeah, um, like too old, kind, too so old to this, die young. Did you ever watch that one on Amazon? That that had kind of a yeah. I really dug that. Just the stylistically, just like beautiful colors and trippy, and like exists in kind yeah, of. This is a little bit swifter paced than that, but this this has a clearer narrative, uh, swifter paced, but um, that kind of vibe. We mentioned uh, Catherine Keener and Rosa Salazar, who's the freaking bomb in this like uh she's so good and like like she's going through a witch's curse as we're watching her um go through this show and just her funny little moments of like what the fuck and just like in the midst of that and the way it's playing with her head i, I just think her performance is dynamite but i also wanted to uh, mention eric lang who plays Lou Burke. Yeah. Um, so good, so smarmy, uh, and a great, unlikable Hollywood douche. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, he's one of those he's one of those character actors that shows up a lot and just tends to play yeah. like unlikable. He plays a lot of like, you know, misogynists or like dismissive people, or like he's like a character actor that's often like the bad guy uh or or the nemesis. And 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 so it was nice to see him get like a more prominent role. Like he gets to be, you know, one of the main characters of this. We get to explore him a little more. I'd also highlight Manny Jacinto from The Good Place is uh, is fun. He pops up. And then mm -hmm. Hannah Levine, who is not somebody I knew before. She's Christina, the girlfriend. Uh, yes. She's fantastic. She's really funny and weird. There's just a lot of like kooky characters around, but it doesn't feel forced. Like, it's very hard to do. It's very hard to do magical realism and, like, mm -hmm. eccentricity and absurdity, but not make it feel, like, forced and obvious and, like, you're trying too hard. And uh, this manages it. It's a kind of a balancing act. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you say that because like the, the balancing act, the, you, you got the witchcraft and you got the Hollywood story, and then they merge, and it's all one story, and it's pretty seamless. Although I felt like I wanted just a titch more Hollywood and a little less witchcraft by the end, but I'm now I'm splitting hairs here because I really enjoyed the hell out of the finished product. Like it took me on a grand, a great ride, a grand ride. Wow, I'll say. Yeah. And, uh, put that on the poster folks. No, I, I don't like my choice. It took me there, on but, a uh, grand I, ride. How Rudnick. All right. I'll stick with Val it. Val Kilmer's it's a, it's a, a beautiful ride, boy. How Rudnick. <laughs> oh yes. I'll, I, I stand by that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Really satisfying. Oh, and who's, I'm going to look at it. There's one actor who pops up. Uh, uh, I got the it. guy who plays I got Alvin. it up right now. Boo? The guy who plays Alvin, the uh, the rich financier. Uh, you 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 made it further than I did. Patrick, F oh, it's Patrick Fishler. Yes, Patrick Fishler from Mulholland Drive and Mad yes. Men. Oh, that's Lost. You know Patrick Fishler, my man. 
really like uh, Patrick Fischler. Oh, also when I was like th- like throwing those comps out there, um, and you mentioned Mulholland Drive, definitely some Lynchian vibes. Sure, although I, it's one of those things where I feel like everything that has any kind of surreality or dreamlike vibe gets tagged with Lynchian, and a lot of the That's time true. it's not really that Lynchian. But yes, this does have a, in general, like obviously... The creators of this obviously enjoy David Lynch and, and pull some inspiration. Moderately Lynch. It's moderately Lynch. Uh, brand new cherry flavor is on Netflix now, and it's rare. <laughs> or the Binge Boys, but the, it's rare for me to like want to finish a whole thing of something. And uh, I just, uh, yeah, I quickly gobbled this one up. Uh, much fun. Brand new cherry flavor on Netflix. One. We watched a little bit of, uh, I watched a little bit, I don't know how much you watched, of Jellystone on HBO Max, taking uh, classic Hanna-Barbera characters, bringing them back for some more fun. And I, I watched several episodes, and I, I went on an emotional journey while watching this. It, did it take you back? At the beginning, I was a little bit upset, uh, I'll admit. I mm-hmm. was like, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. It, it is... As a pitch, I don't get it. It's like, what if we brought back all of the familiar Hanna-Barbera characters, mm-hmm. but we're changing all of their personalities and we're changing yes. all of the context that exists around them. So they're just, they look like their old selves and they have the same name, but now they're in a city and they're doing a different thing and they have a totally different mm-hmm. personality. And, and and at first it's just, it's, it's baffling. It's like, well, what... Why is it them? Like, in what way is this Yogi Bear and Megilla Gorilla, Hannah and Barbara? Like, you fucking tell me. Why isn't Yogi Bear robbing picnic baskets? Why is he a doctor? Why is Jabberjaw a lady who works at a bow tie store? Like, what the fuck? But, yeah. But, there's a but coming. Okay. Mm-hmm. Over time, I watched multiple episodes. Uh, one, I realized I was a grown man who was getting fired up about some cartoon, obviously for children. Two, (laughs) I have to admit a couple of episodes I thought were pretty funny. It made me laugh a few times. I got, I got kind of, I started to enjoy it. Uh, and then I realized, you know what? These Hanna-Barbera characters in their original form, 90% of them were just ripoffs of old-timey comedians. Like Jabberjaw, which we discussed, is now a lady who works in a... an ambitious lady who works at a bow tie store who is a shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jabberjaw was just Curly from the Three Stooges doing uh, Rodney Dangerfield's bit. Remember? That that was Jabberjaw was like, I don't get no respect. That's just two <laughs> old-time comedy bits put together. Like... That's mm-hmm. not a character. And like a lot of them were that way, where it's not really a character. It's just you stole some comedian's thing. Even the Flintstones, they're just doing the honeymooners. It's not original characters. Right. We yeah. just kind of forgive yeah. that it's like, why are you not? Like it's just that same bit. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't really, it wouldn't make sense to do anything else. Like, you couldn't just go back and make a Snagglepuss show. It doesn't make sense in any modern context. There's no choice but to give them new personalities and put them in new context. And so after I thought about that, I was like, you know what? You've sold. Uh, I, okay, I get it now. I'm on board. Thank you for sharing your journey. So is that, that's a whole I, – I had an arc while I watched this. Yes, 100%. I love that. Uh, yeah, I was – 
I, I, I kind of had the same. Just like Yogi and Boo Boo were doing surgery, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. they should be looking for picnic baskets, you guys. Yes. Also, I, like, like, that's boring. Was, do you want to see that? At, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, you know what? I do want to see the Laugh Olympics. Okay, sure. This show is weird because it's also like, yeah. obviously, old fucks like us are the only ones who are going to get references to things like the Laugh Olympics. Or did you catch right. Clue Club? gets a shout out and quickie koala walks by like these are crazy old references that only an old <laughs> fart like myself is going to pick up yeah. on there's a no, lot right of there deep was... hanna-barbera shit in the show and uh mm-hmm. and that's not for kids but the, the comedy is very much written for kids and it's like a kid's cartoon show my main takeaway from uh watching uh two episodes of this was who is this for? It's obviously like a Cartoon Network show that has found its way instead to HBO Max. I think they have the Hanna-Barbera vault, like Warner Brothers owns it. They own all these characters. So you would say that this is for kids. Yes. And more so than the stoned community? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, let's try to reinvent all of these characters we already own, mm-hmm. already have famous names, so yes. if we could get kids interested in Yogi Bear, even if it's a context that makes no sense to classic Yogi Bear, we could make a Yogi Bear show or a Yogi Bear movie. If kids fall in love mm-hmm. with Top Cat via this, who's voiced by Thomas Lennon, by the way. Uh, oh. Did you notice McGilla Gorilla? Also, Paul F. Tompkins. Like, they have a lot. Uh, and Grace Helbig, the Internet's Grace Helbig, was Cindy Bear. Ah, uh, if they can sell kids on those characters via something like this, yeah. then it becomes a valuable property again that they can do stuff with. And I think that's what this is. Boom, then they just, yeah, then they got an ATM. That's what this is all about. And if occasionally they rope in an older person who's stoned and remembers these characters, all the better. I mean, they're not saying don't. Right. And I, like I said, I, I enjoyed it. Like, I thought this was a pretty fun show. I didn't love it, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. And there's... I, I, I came around... There's a mix of uh, absolutely, you know, humor that kids would like. But also there are some, like, great adult-centric jokes in there. Like uh, Yogi Bear, um, like we were talking about, he's a doctor. And after they, uh, um, they do a procedure on this lady, uh, he, he says something like, uh, well, uh, that, uh, that's what you get, that and a $10,000 medical bill yeah. or something like that. But the, and the guy they have doing the Yogi voice is pretty good. So it's like, oh, that's what you mm-hmm. get, a medical bill. You know, like he's, he's doing it. He's going for it. There you go. Some of the characters do not sound like their old selves at all, but some of the characters they got people to do pretty good, pretty good voice facsimiles. Like Paul F. Tompkins is McGilla Gorilla is just doing Paul F. Tompkins. Like it's not. There's no mm. attempt to make it sound like McGilla Gorilla, who had a very specific voice, by the way. Did we have we seen Snagglepuss yet? I don't think I've seen an episode with Snagglepuss, but I bet he's in there somewhere. Like, they're basically... He's the one that talks like this, even. Oh, exit right? stage left. Well, heavens to Murgatroyd. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, I, I hope we get a little snagglepuss, but I may not stick around long enough to find yeah. out. But um, but not unenjoyable. Here's the thing. It, it definitely, you know, the, the little village they live in, there's kind of, you know, not at all, but sort of a, a South Park vibe. It's like it's a little bit of a South. Right. They live in there's, their own There's a town, park. there's a city called Jellystone, where all the Hanna-Barbera... Yes. 
characters now live. And they've all got, like, jobs, like regular person living in a town jobs. Like they're a doctor or a lawyer, they work at a store or whatever. Yes. That was the entire pitch, I feel like. Jellystone is there. It's on HBO Max. Uh, it's it's fun. It's for yeah, kids I, and I stoners. I, but I think it's where kids – Cartoon Network. Where kids and stoners unite. It's not adult swim programming? No, this is definitely on the Cartoon Network. But like in the Adventure Time way, we're like, Yes. Okay, anybody can really get on board. Or Infinity Train, which we've talked about on this podcast before, which I feel like, well, this is just for everybody. Like this doesn't have to just be for kids. Jellystone is there on HBO Max if uh, you are so inclined. And Lon, I think that takes us to the end of today's journey. It does. And Uh, boy, just in time. Jeez. Yes. Hoot hoot, uh, Owl Nation. Thank you uh, to all our gahooligans. Uh, Thank you to uh, Georgia Spelvin from Police Academy. Uh, Thank you, Starburns Audio. Travis Reeves produced this show. Thank you, Travis. I salute you. Jason K provided the sweet licks that brought us in uh, our theme song. And Lon Harris, do you want to tell them where they can find you? Oh, just go to Twitter at L O N S. That's the best place to keep up with all the stuff I'm doing. Plus, Hal, I don't want you to get jealous. But I am jealous already. What's happening? I have embarked on another podcast. I'm doing another Ooh. podcast in addition to Binge okay. Boys. Uh, yes. I have launched a second it? podcast. It is called Garmin Shosia, uh, a Twin Peaks reference. And uh, uh-huh. it'd be uh, video Drew herself, Drew Grant and I. It's once a week. We're we're just talking about whatever whatever comes up that week that that scratches our ire that makes us want to yell into a microphone about something. Gotcha. So well, the first episode of that is up. I think we're still figuring out putting it out on Apple's podcasting system, but Spotify, Anchor, uh, some of these other places you can already find. Very cool. Congratulations on that. You and Drew uh, are uh, you. You guys got great chemistry, chit chatting and whatnot. Yeah, so you know. uh, everybody, yeah, tune into Garmin Shosia. But in addition to this podcast, don't go no, there instead of don't this listen. Podcast. We're not cannibalizing <laughs> you. You have if you listen to that podcast, you must also still listen to this podcast. I insist. There's no switching. You have to just double up or nothing. No flipping. No flipping. No, no switching. <laughs> It's Larry Sanders sign off. No flipping. No flipping. Yes. And uh, everybody, you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram. Join me there for um, much fun and stupidity. I want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.